0: Father, again, we just come to you today, and as we come to chapter 5 and we finish up on this great vision, this grand vision that John had of heaven, Lord, I just ask today that you open our eyes so that we can see and behold the things that are going on here, the, the, the 24 elders, the living beings, the, the angels, all worshiping the Lamb, the Lamb of God who is none other than our Savior Jesus Christ, the great I Am, Lord, and and so Lord, I just I, what a day it'll be when we're there with you and and we're able to join that worship service but until then, Lord, help us to see how how worship should be and and the and the, the fact that we should center all our worship on you lord jesus and and uh, I just ask that you you bless our hearts today and help us to bless your hearts as we look at this text, Lord, help us to worship you in in spirit and in truth and so. Lord, I just ask for a special blessing on all we do today, and I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, it's in his precious name that we pray, amen. Probably the greatest uh, fish story in the entire world is found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter number five. Do you remember that story? Uh, most of you are familiar with it. Uh Jesus had, been, had borrowed Peter's boat, and he had been out teaching all day, and then uh, when he had finished teaching, he told Peter. He said, "Launch into the deep and let down your nets for a catch." And Peter argued with that because, you know, it was it was uh, uh, still daytime, uh, and and they don't fish in the deep with nets. They fish in shallow water. And so he said to, he said to the Lord, "He said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. But nevertheless, at." Your word, we will let down our nets. And they went out into the deep and they cast their nets and they caught such a great number of fish that their nets were breaking. Now, that's, that's some fish tale. And if you, go, if you ever study that story, there's some great spiritual lessons to learn from Luke chapter 5. We're not going to go there today and we're not going to learn those lessons today. But what I want you to do for a second is just ponder, how did though Jesus know? That those fish were going to be out where he took that boat out in the deep. How did he know that? Well, the first answer is he's God. But still, how 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 did he know that? I mean, did he have a did he you know did he have a, a depth finder from a fish finder from Bass Pro Shops? Well, no, we know he didn't have that because they didn't have any Bass Pro Shops and they didn't have any depth finders back then. But how did he know that those fish would be there? Well, probably those fish weren't there until he got there. And he called those fish to come to the place where that boat was, and they caught all of those fish. And in doing that, the the fact that those fish came to that boat, they did that in a way that honored their creator. They, They obeyed their creator. Even though they became lunch for somebody, they obeyed their creator. And in and and what we're going to see today as we come into chapter five of Revelation, we're going to see that all of the creation at some point is going to obey the Creator. They're going to obey the Lamb. They're going to worship the Lamb. And they're going to they're going to give Him all praise and honor. And and so that's the scene we're going to see in Revelation chapter 5 as we come out of time and into eternity. And what we're going to see here is a scene of the whole creation, even the fish, worshiping Jesus Christ. Well, let's pick up where we've got several of you that haven't been here uh, for this this study in Revelation in the past. So let me kind of set the context for you. In our last lesson, lesson, we're still in the throne room of God. And in the last lesson, we saw the lamb in the midst of the throne, and the lamb had seven eyes, and he had, uh, he had seven horns. And we learned that those seven eyes represent the fact that he is the all-seeing God, that he sees everything. The seven horns represent power. Horns represent power. So they represent complete power. So all power on heaven and earth has been given to the Lamb. And then we saw this scene where he was at the right hand of the Father, and he was given a scroll to open. And he was the only one in heaven worthy of opening that scroll. And why was he worthy? Because he had gone to the cross to die for the sins of mankind, and he had regained the dominion over the earth that Adam had lost to Satan in the Garden of Eden. And so he was the only one who was worthy to open the scroll. And what was the scroll? Well, the scroll was a book of prophecy, we're pretty sure of that, about the end times, including the great tribulation and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then the scroll, and, and, and I made the point that you go back to the book of Daniel in chapter 12, and Daniel was told to seal his scroll, to seal his prophecies to the end times. So I think the predictions that Daniel made about the end times are the content of of this scroll and, and we're going to see these things actually transpire as we move on in Revelation and this scroll was sealed with seven seals and this and as each one of these seals are open judgments are going to be poured out on the earth and, and when we next week when we begin chapter 6 and then when we then later on when we get into chapter 7 we're going to look at these seven seals which have sealed this scroll which mark the great tribulation and mark the beginning of the end and the coming of Jesus Christ. Now your setting set, so let's pick up in chapter five and look with me at verse number eight. And listen to what he says. He says, "Now when he had taken the scroll, the lamb had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and creatures, as I told you earlier, is a bad translation. It's the, the word there should be living ones." the four living ones who represent the attributes of God, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a go- and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so the scene that you get here in verse number 8 begins this great worship service in heaven. And uh, at this worship service, the first participants that we see are the church represented by the 24 elders, and the living ones. The living ones represent the attributes of God. And I don't have time to go all the way back to that uh, lesson and explain why they represent the attributes of God or which attributes they represent, but we know that they represent the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God. Uh, they represent the imminence of God and the transcendence of God. We know that by, by who these characters are, who these the faces of these living ones are. But here's what's interesting here. They're bowing down, they're in the midst of the throne and they're on the throne, these living ones, and yet they're bowing down to the Lamb. Now, does God bow down to God? See, that's that's that creates an interesting problem. Actually, I believe the picture that's being painted for us is the fact that some of these attributes are subservient to the attributes of the Lamb. The Lamb brings forth the attributes of, what attributes of God? Love and mercy and grace. And all of these other attributes are, are subservient to those attributes of love, mercy, and grace. Let me give you an example. God is omniscient. He has these, all these eyes. All of these living ones have eyes. They're full of eyes on the front and on the back. That means that they see all things. They see everything that we do. Whether it be good or whether it be bad, they see it. They they see everything. That means they see our sin. And God is omnipotent and he's omniscient and he has power over sin. He has the power to destroy sin and sinners. And if all the only attributes of God were omnipotence and omniscience, then he would destroy us for our sin. But love and mercy and grace... Of the Lamb trump that omniscience and that omnipotence. Because, just stop and think about it a minute. The wages of sin is what? It's death. And if God is omniscient, He remembers, He sees and remembers every single sin that you and I have committed. But thank God for the Lamb. Because the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And in the Bible, we're told that God remembers our He cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers our sin no more. Now, how can an omnipotent God, an omniscient God, not remember our sins anymore? Because Jesus took our sins away at the cross. And so that love, mercy, and grace uh, is, is the... Are the omnipotence and the omniscience of God bows down to that love, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ. All right, now then you have the church and the church is bowing down uh, to the Lamb and we, we understand why we're subservient to the Lamb because the Lamb of God without the Lamb we're nothing. The Lamb is God and we're, we're His creation and He's died for us and so we're subservient to the Lamb. Now so you see these beings and you see... Uh, the 24 elders who represent the church and they're falling down before the lamb and they're giving honor to the lamb. And what do they have in their hands? What does, what do the members of the church have in their hands? They have harps and they have golden bowls full of incense. All of you probably have seen those pictures or those paintings of, of the saints in heaven on clouds with harps and they play those harps forever. Well, you know, I, I don't know that that's what I want to do in heaven forever, and I don't know that that picture, picture is accurate because I don't believe that we will be playing harps in heaven for, forever. First of all, the, the word harp there is the Greek word githara, and, and we get, what, what English word do you think we get from that? Guitar. And so the word harp simply means a string instrument. It could be a violin, it could be a, uh, a harp, it could e- even be a guitar. It might even be an electric guitar. We might, some of you might be carrying electric guitars on clouds in heaven f- forever. But regardless of what we have, which instrument you get to play, you're going to have an instrument based upon this text right here, and we're going to carry these harps. But I don't believe we're going to worship God forever. I don't believe this worship service is, we're going to worship God forever, but I don't believe this worship service that we see here taking place in heaven in eternity is going to go on forever. But it won't be because we don't want it to. Let me tell you right now, when you get to heaven and you see the Lord in all his glory and you sense the very love and presence of God, you're not going to want to go anywhere. And all you're going to want to do is fall down before the Lord and worship the Lord. Now, let me tell you what, if that's not the way you feel now, you're probably not going to like heaven. But I don't know about you, Those, but those experiences where I that I have where I sense the very presence of God and I sense the love of God, I don't want those experiences to ever end. I've had a few experiences like that on occasion in my prayer closet and I didn't ever want to get up. And I wouldn't have got up if that that it, that experience that I was having didn't go away at some point I think God is going to actually have to push us out of heaven to get us to go do the work that he wants us to do but in any case we're going to have this beautiful worship service where we're going to be carrying these harps and playing some kind of instrument it might be a horn it might be drums it might be something else but we will all be praising the the Lord in in some some form or fashion now the second thing that these elders are carrying the second thing that they're holding with them Are golden bowls of incense what are those golden bowls of incense what do you think they are we're told what they are they're the prayers of the saints you remember in the temple there was an altar of incense and that altar of incense was placed where it was right at the it was right next to the curtain next to the holiest of holies and so those that altar of incense that smoke going up up was The Bible describes it as a sweet aroma going up to the Lord. And what does that represent? That represents the prayers of God's people going up to the Lord. David put it like this in Psalms 141 verse 2. David says, Let my prayers go before you like incense. Now what are those prayers? Well, I think they're all the prayers that we we make uh, to the Lord. All the prayers that we offer up to the Lord are in those bowls. But I think, here he's speaking of something more specific. And I think he's speaking of those prayers where we cry out Maranatha. You ever, cry, you ever look at the news and cry out Maranatha? You ever look at your situation in life and you just cry out Maranatha? And what do we mean when we cry out Maranatha? You might say it differently. You, you might not use Maranatha. What does that mean? It means come, Lord, come. Come quickly, Lord, come quickly. I mean, I cry Maranatha all the time just because of my personal circumstances and just because of the depravity and evil that we see in this world, you just want to cry, Lord, when are you going to stop this? When are you going to come? And and I believe that's the prayers that that he's speaking of here at this worship service that have reached the, the nostrils of the Lord and now the Lord is ready to act. You remember Moses when he met the Lord at the burning bush And the Lord told Moses that I'm going to use you to deliver the nation of Israel out of bondage. And uh, he he told Moses, he said, I have seen the oppression of my people and I've heard their cry and it has reached me in heaven and now I'm going to act. Well, I think in a similar way, that's the picture that we're getting here in heaven now, right before the great tribulation begins. God has heard seeing the oppression of his people. He's heard that cry of Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. And now he's about to act, and uh, the great tribulation is going to begin, and then the Lord is going to return to the earth. And so singing and praise break out in heaven. And look at look at the song that they sing in verse number 9. And this is, this is a difficult passage here to follow. So, so, so depending on which version you have. If you've got the King James or the new King James, you you won't have much trouble following it. It'll make lots of sense to you. If you have the nearly inspired version or one of those other modern translations, you might have a little bit of difficulty with this, and let me explain to you why. But let's read it first. Listen to what he says. And and they, he's talking about the saints, represented by the 24 elders. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed. Now watch the pronouns here. Redeemed who? Us. Now that makes sense if the 24 elders are the church. I mean, that would be a great song. That's certainly going to be the song I'm singing in heaven. a a new song. Lord, you're worthy to take the scroll. Nobody else is worthy but you because you know why you're worthy? You're worthy to open the seals and pour out wrath on this earth because you died for us. You were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people and nation. So there's going to be people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue in heaven. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign with you on earth forever and ever and ever. What a song to sing, right? Well, if you have the new uh, the, the NIV, or if you have the NASV, or any of the other modern translations, the pronouns are different in this verse, and that causes a problem. It causes a lots of problems in your translation. Let me read it to you, uh, or, or let me kind of summarize the way it would read if you had... One of the other modern, modern translations, it would read like this. You were slain and have redeemed them to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them kings and priests to God, and they shall reign on earth. And so this can't be the 24 elders, or the 24 elders can't be the church if the pronouns are third-person plural, they can't be. They would have to be singing about the church who is not in heaven. And so that totally changes how you interpret this passage. I mean, if the church is in heaven and the 24 elders represent the church, then the pronouns are first-person plural. Am I making sense there? It's us, and it's we. If, it's, if this is about a group that hasn't made it to heaven, then it's they and them. And that's why that's, there's, there's such a big difference in the way you translate, in the way you interpret this text based upon how you translate these pronouns. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on both texts. Uh, The NIV and the NASB and most of the modern translations use a very good translation, or very good text of the Bible, manuscript of the Bible. They use the Codex Alexandrius, which is dated uh, dated back to 400 years AD. So that gets pretty close to the original manuscripts. I mean, the original manuscripts were written around the end of the first century, so you're only about three centuries. When you're looking at the Codex Alexandrius, you're only just a few centuries from the original manuscript, from the original text. And that's why a lot of scholars choose the Codex Alexandrius, and that's why most of the scholars who, who participated in the making of the NASB and the NI, Use the Codex Alexandrius. The the New King James, and the King James uses the Textus Receptus, and that's a much later manuscript, 500 or so years later, uh, uh, almost to 1,000 A.D., and so it's not as close to the original, and that's why these scholars in the NIV and the NASB use that other text. Here's their problem. We, have, we don't have complete manuscripts before the Codex Alexandrius, but we do have fragments from the earlier manuscripts. We have fragments all the way back to the, to the, to the end of the 1st century, all the way into the beginning of the 2nd century. And you can take those fragments and you can use those fragments and you can find errors in the Codex Alexandrius. And that's why I'm a firm believer in the New King James and the King James Version. That's why I believe John, the, the story about the woman in adultery that you, that's given to us in John chapter, I believe it's John chapter nine, that is, is not in the Codex Alexandrius, but it is in some, manu- in some fragments of the, of the Bible dated earlier than that. So I'm a firm believer that the manuscript that was used for the King James and the New King James is better than the Codex Alexandria's. Now, I, there's some scholars that would argue with me on that who know a lot more about this than I do. But here's, here's one of the things that I look at. God orchestrated All you got to do is look at history. Look at the history at the time when the, new, when the King James was, was produced. And if you look at what was going on then, God orchestrated all of this, what was taking place in England and in these countries around England to force the production of this Bible. And that became the Bible that was the standard Bible used throughout the world for until the 21st century. So i got to believe that a sovereign God wouldn't have put a faulty text uh, in the production of the King James Version of the Bible. Now, with that said, some of you, you King James who believe the New King James is a bad version. It, everybody has a New King James. You go back and look at the original King James, and it has been changed. The original King James included the Apocrypha, and none of us agree with the Apocrypha. So, uh, we're really chasing a rabbit here, but bear with me. But, uh, but, but that dropped off with the Reformation from the King James Bible. And I believe the King James and the New King James, I believe they're the best translation. I say all of that because if you're sitting here with the NIV, you're gonna say, well, that, that's really not what's being sung here. And it's, and it's critical to your interpretation of this text. I, and, and it also is critical to what you believe, do you believe that the church is in heaven at this point? Because if the church is in heaven at this point and they're represented by the 24 elders, then they're gonna engage in this song and it's going to be the first person, uh, it's going to be the first person plural. So uh, hopefully I didn't bore you too much with that, but I, I think that's critical. Let's get, let's get back to the song, though, here, if I can find it here somewhere in my, in my notes. All right, now, let me say one other thing. Go, go back to the introduction of Revelation when we were looking in chapter number one. When did John write that introduction did he write that introduction before he saw his vision or after he saw his vision I want you to just think about that logically when would he introduce a book about the future he would he would introduce it after he had seen the future so revelation was written after John had his vision on on the island of Patmos And what I want you to see is, I want you to look at his introduction and jump down with me to verse number 4 and listen to what, just listen to a few verses about the introduction and I think you'll see the point I'm going to make here. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Where did he hear that? He heard the Lord saying that about himself. And he heard the angels singing that in heaven. The one who is and one who is to come is the Lamb of God. Okay, so, so you know he's written his vision at this. He's seen his vision at this point as he writes this introduction. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. He had to see those seven spirits before the throne. He had to see the vision to even know that. John says nothing in the Gospel of John or in 1st or 2nd and 3rd John about the seven spirits who are before the throne. He's writing in context of this vision. Now listen to what he says. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, And we'll look at the pronouns, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. amen. Sounds to me like John had just heard a song in heaven. That he had just heard this song that we're looking at right here in in verse number 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and the people and nation, and made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on earth. He's speaking to the church in that introduction, and this is the church, I believe, that's singing here as we come to verse number 9 in chapter number 5. Now, I'm sorry I had to go through all of that to, to, to make a case. And if you're sitting here today with an with a NIV or an NASB, I'm sorry is all I can say with that, about that. If you haven't burned it by now, then, then shame on you. I'm just teasing. Now, let's go back to the song. Why is Jesus worthy to open the seals and let the great tribulation begin? Because he was the lamb who was slain. He was slain for our sins. And by dying for our sins, he's offered the world... A way of salvation. The only way of salvation. There's no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can be saved. And so he's offered salvation to the world and and now the church has been removed from the earth. And who's left? Who's left is a Christ-rejecting world. Christ-rejecting people. They've rejected the only way To salvation. They've rejected God who's died for their sins on a cross. And so Christ is perfectly justified in opening these seals and pouring out wrath upon this earth. And so that's what what it means there when he says, Jesus is worthy here to open the seals because he saved us. You talk about amazing grace now. You talk about some amazing grace. We all deserve death. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And yet he's saved us. And not only has he he saved us, he's made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign with him on earth and in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. You tell me that's not amazing grace. Amazing grace that causes all of heaven to break out into song. Look at verses 11 and 12 now. He says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living ones, I say living ones there, and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, what do those numbers mean? You can't be sure here, but... I believe the first number, based upon the order, the first number here is the number of the angels. The 10,000 times 10,000. Those of you that are really sharp, or you've looked ahead like I have, you know that that's 100 million angels. a 100 million angels around the throne. Now, that doesn't include the 50 million that fell uh, when they rebelled against God in heaven. And so you've got a hundred angels in heaven. And what's their job? What what is the job of the angels in heaven? That's a lot of angels now. A hundred million angels is a lot of angels. I love what John Bunyan said in one of his writings. He said, oh, the Lamb of God. He says he had a whole heaven to himself. Myriads of angels to do his pleasure. But this couldn't satisfy him. He must have sinners to share it with him. He wanted you and he wanted me to share it with him. He had the angels, and the angels do a great job for the Lord. What did the angels do? Drop back with me a few books to the book of Hebrews, and we're told what the angels do. We get a clear description of what the angels do in Hebrews chapter number 1. First of all, the the angels do what they're doing right here in Revelation chapter 5. What are they doing? Look at Hebrews chapter uh, 1, verse number 6. Let all of the angels of God worship him. So what's the primary function of the angels? To worship God. That's their primary function. And in eternity, that's all they'll do. They will worship God. But they've got a secondary purpose for now. Look down at verse number 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So they're ministering spirits also. Who do they minister to? They minister to you and I. And there's a hundred million of them. That's a lot of, I guarantee you, right now, this very moment, there are angels in this room. And you know, there's some weeks I can tell when the bad angels are here and when the good angels are here. Sometimes I feel a darkness in this room. Sometimes I feel light in this room. And I think sometimes we, get, we feel both. There's evil angels and there's good angels. And there's a lot more good angels than there are evil angels. And they're sent to minister to you And I, they're sent to protect you, to help you, to help you make it home. Make it, you you know what, probably without the angels, certainly God's more powerful than the angels, and I guess he could get you home uh, earlier if he wanted to. But we all need a lot of help. I don't know about you, but angels are probably working overtime in my life. They're probably, probably saying, man, why'd you give me George? You know, I mean, he is a mess. You know what we've had to do to get him saved? But you know, they love their job. They love it. They absolutely love it. You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 15? He says, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When they do their job and they put you in a position where you finally... You don't know, say, Uncle, and you finally give your life to the Lord. There is joy, and all the angels rejoice at the fact that, hey, that guy got saved. Can you believe it, Lord? We got him. We, you saved him. I can't believe he's saved. He may, he's going to make it home. So there's, there's all of these angels and a and, and 100 billion angels, and then you see the thousands of thousands. Now, why the thousands of thousands? How many is a thousands of thousands? How how many of you can tell me what's a thousands of thousands? You don't know. Because you don't know how many thousands. It could be a million thousands. You know what? I believe the number is that vague intentionally. God makes it vague intentionally. Because there's no limit to how many people can be in heaven. There's no limit to how many people are going to get saved. Now, it looks like not many people are getting saved in the world today, but we've had, uh, you know, a couple of thousand years since Jesus died on the cross. We've got the Old Testament saints who are redeemed the same way that we're redeemed. And and uh, uh, so, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven, and then you wonder about the people in the millennium, are they going to get saved too? You wonder about people maybe with God and. Uses us up to go inhabit other planets or other worlds that people are going to get saved. We just don't know the limit. You know, what I do know is that Abraham was told in Genesis chapter 26 that his descendants of faith would be as the stars in the sky. Have you ever tried to number the stars in the sky? Well, they say with your, with your, with your bare eye you can, you can see 13,000 or something like that stars in the sky. But you realize that there are billions and billions of of stars galaxies just galaxies along, and and some of those galaxies have trillions and trillions of stars it's 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 innumerable you can't count it you can't count the number of people that are here around this throne but they're singing praises unto God and I'll tell you what right now if John is out of time and he's in eternity and he's seeing the raptured church in heaven he's seeing all of the church in heaven and if he was to take a snapshot of that picture in eternity and you were able to get a hold of that snapshot and you, would, you could look real hard there and see if you're in it or not. And if you're not in it, now you're going to look a lot different. You know, you're going to look a lot better. So you'd have to, you know, you'd have to proud and arrogant people have no trouble finding themselves, but some people, humble people might have a little bit of trouble. But you look at that snapshot hard enough and long enough and you could see your picture in that snapshot because you're there. When John's there, you're there. When John's there, the church has been raptured. He's gone into the future. He's in heaven. He's out of time. He's in eternity. And he sees the church in heaven and the great tribulations about to begin. And so they're singing. And listen to what, listen in verse number 12 saying, I'm going to say singing with a loud voice. Worthy, what are they singing? What are they singing? worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb are you lord god almighty yes you're i can answer that for you yes you are lord god almighty worthy is the lamb Uh, they're singing that with a loud voice who was they're playing their instruments their harps or their guitars or their drums or whatever they have in heaven And with a loud voice, they're crying out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Now watch this. To receive, really, all power, all riches, all wisdom, all strength, all honor. Worthy is the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? The Lamb is the creator of this universe. God who died for your sins. The one who was and is and is to come. The Almighty. Man, i I got got to tell you guys, this can't bore you, I, don't, if this bores us, we're in bad trouble. We're in, I mean, I, I don't see how in the world you're not shouting over this. I mean, they're shouting in heaven. If you're not shouting, if you're not praising God at this point in your heart, you don't have to do it out loud if you don't want to, but if you're not praising God, when you see the Lamb in heaven, who's worthy, who's been slain for you, who's made you kings and priests unto God, you're not going to have much fun in heaven. If you make it there, you're not going to have much fun in heaven. How can anyone look at this passage and deny the deity of Jesus Christ when we see him clearly being worshipped by every being in heaven and on earth? You know, we're told in the Ten Commandments that In the very first commandment, in chapter 20 of Exodus, you shall have no other gods before me. Wait a minute. What about God the Father? Is Jesus greater than God the Father? I mean, when Jehovah God says that, what he's saying is, he's saying, I demand all of your worship. You don't worship any other God but me. Over in Isaiah chapter 42, the Lord says to us, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not share my glory with another. I will not I will not allow praise to idols. I will not share my glory with another. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here they are in heaven and everyone singing, worthy is a lamb who was slaved to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor. I mean... It sounds to me like the Father's sharing his glory with the Son. How do you reconcile that? Let me tell you the way you reconcile that. Jesus is Jehovah. He is Jehovah God. And if he's not Jehovah God, then in this scene, all all of heaven is sinning against Jehovah God. But Jesus is Jehovah God. Jesus and the Father are one. So here you have the angels and you have the living ones and you have the church falling down before the lamb and they're worshiping the lamb. The lamb in whom all the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. And not only are the living ones and the angels and the church worshiping Jesus Christ, all of creation is worshiping Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such that are in the sea. Catch that? And all that are in them in the sea and in the earth, I heard them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Now, even The fish, I mean, have you ever seen that? Have you ever noted that in your mind? Even the fish will praise Jesus Christ as God Almighty. Why are all the humans that have ever uh, existed going to praise the Lord? And why are all the animals going to praise the Lord? And why are the fish going to praise Him? All the humans that have received Christ going to praise Him? Because we will be redeemed. And the whole creation will be redeemed with us. That means everything that's wrong about this world, everything that's wrong about the sea, everything that's wrong about the earth, everything that's wrong in heaven is going to be made right. You remember what Paul said? You might be flip back with me there for a minute. Go back to the book of Romans. And look at Romans chapter 8. Jump, pop down to verse, get to Romans, just a few books back from Revelation. It's an easy book to find. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look down in verse number nine, 19. And listen to what he, Paul says. He says, For the earnest expectation of the creation, the whole creation, The whole creation on earth, the whole creation in the stars, the whole creation in the sky, the whole creation in the sea eagerly awaits for the redemption of the sons of God. You know, I got an old dog. He's about 16 years old. He's losing all his hair. He can't see, he can't hear. He's about to be put down if he keeps using the bathroom in the house. But he's having a rough, rough time. I wish... You know, maybe the creation could be redeemed before he dies, but it's probably not going to be. But, you know, you look at that poor dog and you look at the poor animals and you see dead animals all over the road. You see uh, animals in zoos being, you know, cooped up in a zoo. And I'm not a PETA guy, but I'm just saying you see see what's happening to the animal world and you feel for them. I mean, they groan just like we groan. They wish things were right. That I means I don't know that they you know, have the intelligence to, to know how bad it is, but they've got to know that it could be better than that. And, and so the whole creation waits for the adoption of the Son of God, sons of God, to the children of God, because the creation, look at verse number 20, was subjected to futility. When was it subjected to fertility? When it was cursed, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they fell. Not willingly, but because, I mean, but because of him who subjected it in hope, in hope of a better day. You know, if God was a mean God, if, he wasn't, if, if love and grace and mercy didn't trump omnipotence and, and, and some of the other attributes of God, then that would have been it. We would have been cursed forever until we all perished. But he subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty, the corruption is decay and death, will be delivered from the bondage of death into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. But when Jesus returns to this earth with his saints, everybody, Part of the creation is going to rejoice. Even the fish are going to be glad. Because not only will we be redeemed, but all of the earth, all of the creation, all of the heavens, all of the stars will be redeemed. And death and decay will be no more. It will be a thing of the past. And everything on earth and in heaven and in the sea will praise Jesus. Because it's all because of him that the earth is redeemed. Wait a minute, I mean, how are fish gonna praise the Lord? I mean, they, they don't have a, a voice. Listen, you don't need a voice to praise the Lord, to honor the Lord, uh, to hear the Lord. I mean, another fish story in the Bible, one of the fish stories that I really like, you remember uh, Jesus needed a, uh, a, some money to pay the temple tax and he had Peter go do what Peter loved to do. He said, go fishing, and you're going to catch a fish, and in that fish's mouth is going to be a coin, a golden coin, and you're going to be able to use that to pay the temple tax. Now, how did Jesus get that fish to bite uh, Peter's? First of all, how did he get him to eat a golden coin? And then how did he get him to bite that hook? I wish he would join me sometimes when I'm fishing. I don't have that kind of luck. But how did, how did he get him to do that? Because that fish... Maybe he doesn't have ears, but he still obeys the Lord. He hears the Lord. And so fish can honor and praise the Lord. And I think the best way we praise the Lord is by doing what we were created to do. By being who we were, by being who we were intended to be. I mean, what were fish created for? You ever wonder what fish were created for? Well, we eat fish now. To a fisherman, that's the only good reason you have fish is to eat fish. But, you know, have you seen some of these pictures of some of the fish and the parts of the sea that a human being can't even go down to because they would die if they went to those depths? And you see these pictures of these beautiful fish and you wonder what in the world are they doing down there, way down there and nobody can see them. God can see them. They're created to honor God. They're created to honor God's creation. And they're doing what they were created to do. We need to learn from those fish. We were created to honor God. We were created to serve God. And we need to be doing what God's created us to do. And all of creation, at some point, will be what it was intended to be and it will do what it was intended to do. And that's the hope that we see in Romans chapter 8, and we see here in Revelation chapter 5 as we finish up. Let's look at the very last verse here. Revelation chapter 5. And then you guys, all you guys have been waiting to get to the great tribulation. You're there. (laughs) We won't go there today, but you're there. Then Then the four living creatures said, Amen. Remember we learned what the word Amen means. You know what the word Amen means? The Lord is sure. The promises of the Lord are sure. The power of the Lord is sure. The grace of the Lord is sure because the Lord is sure. Amen. Anything, to the, anything that the Lord says, you can say amen to it because he is sure. Then the four living creatures said amen, and the 24 elders who represent the church of Jesus Christ fell down and worshipped him, the Lamb of God, who lives forever and ever. And in doing so, they were worshipping the Trinity. They were worshipping the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's always been a Trinity. Throughout eternity, there's been a Father, there's been a Son, and there's been a Holy Spirit. There's always been a Trinity, and there always will be a Trinity. And so you see them, and here they are, and they're worshipping the Lord God, who is one God. They see the Lamb, but they're worshiping the Father, they're worshiping the Son, they're worshiping the Holy Spirit. They're worshiping the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Almighty God. Can you wait? I mean, can you, can you, can you? I can't wait. I don't know about you, till that day comes. When we're there by that throne and we're singing praises like we sang this morning to the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Why do we sing Worthy is the Lamb? Because if there wasn't a Lamb and there was just God the Father. God the Father is love and grace and he gave his Son. But without that Lamb being slain, we're toast. But we're not toasts. We're kings and priests unto God forever and ever and ever. You know what? Get used to praising the Lord. You're going to do a lot of that. Singing to the Lord I'm talking about. Being what you were intended to be. Doing what you were intended to do. Because that's what you're going to do in heaven. If that's not what you want to be, that's not what you want to do, then you're not a child of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this great vision you've given us in chapters 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation. We just ask that, uh, Lord, that that you continue to, to help us to see you as you truly are, as the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world for our sins. Lord, we need grace. We need mercy. And we need love. And we just thank you that through Jesus Christ, through you, Lord, we have all of those things, Lord. We just ask you to, to again, just, just bless our, our, uh, our future on this earth. But Lord, we all cry out, Maranatha. We long for your return. Lord, we just, we, we know those prayers are going up to your ears, and it won't be long. Father, we just thank you again for Jesus Christ. It's in His precious name that I pray. Amen.